There we go, Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. Welcome to Sunday morning. It's a good old nine o'clock and we're starting a little bit later from now on. We'll be starting at nine o'clock on a Sunday just to allow the country and music show to go through till nine o'clock. So welcome. This is a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people, people in our community and beyond who share with us their experiences their choices and consequences, and regardless of age, their innate wisdom. By discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these guests share, we can choose to apply the relevant aspects in our lives and in our community and develop programs that I hope found a more sustainable, loving and heartfelt way to be with each other, thereby improving our physical and mental health. In today's show, we're going to look at our kidney health and why it matters. My guest is John Lee. Morning, Lucy. <laughs> Lovely to be here. I must say, I had to fire up with two coffees. Oh, my Lord. Instead of one this morning. Hopefully it wasn't about me, but just actually about getting out this morning. No, I'm normally up early in the morning anyway. Yeah. It's just coordinating the transport. Yes, and it's yeah. it's not easy. I think, you know, we... we we turn on our radio and we just think it all just happens. It's interesting mm. how, you know, you had to get here early this morning on a Sunday with Sunday um, timetables and hopefully the trains were running because otherwise that would have been buses oh, yeah, and everything else. Fine. Few. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's very pertinent because obviously we're talking about kidneys, which play a major role in maintaining our general health and well-being. I was doing some research and so what I did was I, I went on to the um, Kidney Health Australia website. So here is how it they helps. describe our kidneys. Yes, they have a very comprehensive website. Kidneys play a major role in maintaining your general health and well-being. Think of them as a very complex, environmentally friendly waste disposal system. They sort non-recyclable waste from recyclable waste 24 hours a day, 7 days a week while also cleaning your blood. Your butt. Your butt. That's <laughs> a slight slip up. I haven't had any coffee this morning. <laughs> Must Ooh. drink more water. Um, most people are born with two kidneys. And we're going to talk, uh, John, about your story shortly because uh, I think you go against the grain. Each one is about the size of an adult fist, bean-shaped and weighing about 150 grams each. The kidneys are located at both sides of your backbone, just under the rib cage and above the small of your back. And they're protected from injury by a large padding of fat, your lower ribs and several muscles. Your blood supply circulates through your kidneys about 12 times every hour. And each day your kidneys process around 200 litres of blood. The kidneys make urine from excess fluid and unwanted chemicals or waste in your blood and around one to two litres of waste leave your body each day as urine. Uh, yeah, that's huge. Mm. Like that, as I was writing this and just everything about it was really educating me. Now, uh, my guest today warned me that the moment I started talking about kidneys, I would see blank a blank look come across people's faces, tumbleweeds billowing down deserted roads, and I was intrigued. <laughs> Why did people not want to talk about kidney health when they're such major players in our bodies? I mean, let's when I looked at the statistics, approximately 1.7 million Australians, that's one in 10, aged 18 and over, have indicators for kid, uh, chronic kidney disease, such as reduced kidney function. And we might talk about that a little later. Less than 10% of people with uh, chronic kidney disease are aware they even have this condition. 
And that means that over 1.5 million Australians are unaware they have indicators for chronic kidney disease, which we might call CKD now. Um, so what would increase the risk of an adult? It would be having diabetes, high blood pressure, established heart problems, so heart failure, heart attack, or even um, have had a stroke. They're obese, um, a family history of kidney failure, a smoker, 60 years or older, or of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander origin. That is a very long list of what could predispose you to have kidney issues. I would say see if you're on that list and consider it. Absolutely. And actually, um, a good way to do a little bit of a self-check is the um, Kidney Health Australia website does have an interactive tool where you can go in and it asks you questions and it gives you answers and tells you if you're in that category. category. It really encourages you to go to your doctor. But I would say if you have any of those symptoms, which might talk about the symptoms later, just go to your doctor Mm. for a checkup. It's much better to know than not know because actually uh, getting onto the situation early could make an enormous difference. So every everyone, in fact, should have at least one annual health check. Yes. And that's where the doctor can monitor what's going on and advise you. Do they yeah. include kidney function as part of an annual health check? Well, when they what they do on an annual health check, they'll most of them will take a blood test and that's a full blood count. And in that full blood count, it'll pick up anomalies which will have a reference to what's happening with your blood and that will lead to the kidney. Right. So your doctor will then advise you that they've picked up an anomaly and they need to look at it further. Okay, and that matches with some of those warning signs, which, uh, you know, you were talking about difficulty sleeping or tiredness. Yep. Yep. Or you're uh, urinating a lot, you know, going to the loo a lot. That's one of those signs. Um, Is drinking, constantly feeling thirsty one of them as well? Let me have a look, actually. Let's have a look. Uh, Muscle cramps, pins and needles in your fingers and toes. Changes in the amount of water you want to drink is one of them. Puffiness around your ankles, legs, around your eyes. I mean, when, as you say, when you get the blood count and you match that with some symptoms, that's where the doctor can go, okay, we need further investigation here. So, John, your story is slightly different. You were born with... A, a, an issue in your kidneys, weren't you? Yep. Should we, should we go straight in there? Should we, would you like some music first? I'll leave that up to you, Lisa. All right. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to a little bit of music first. Yep. And then be prepared, listeners. It's an amazing we're gonna, story. We're going to hit you in the ears. Yes. We're going to talk about really what your life story has been because it's it's an incredible story and it's a. A great testament to how sensitively we can know our bodies and how we can live knowing um, the level of care we need to bring to our bodies. And hopefully, as I say in my intro, we can learn from your story, John, and actually bring it to someone who doesn't have, I don't have a a concern with my kidneys at present, but I can learn the the detail that you need to go to. I can bring that into my body now. You know, why wait sort of issue. Oh, for sure. Mm. Yeah. 
Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. Welcome back. I am here on a Sunday morning with John Lee. Welcome back, John Lee. Hi, Lucy. <laughs> Sorry, I just swallowed my water. Imagine. Got to have water all the time. You have, absolutely. Let's start at the very beginning, as they say in all good storybooks. Um, your life started uh, with... Let's, let's go right back to when your mother was pregnant with you. Now, obviously... You know this information because of what you have learnt later in life. At this, at the start, when you were born, this wasn't common knowledge. So we kind of need to kind of put it in that uh, in that frame so that our listeners kind of understand that what you know now, you you can talk about it now with the reflection that you've had of the experience and wisdom you've picked up through the years. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. When my mother was pregnant with me, she in fact had a uh, kidney disease and through uh, natural attrition I ended up with that kidney disease but no one ever knew that that had occurred obviously they don't look for these sort of things no. so not long after my birth I ended up in a children's home which then dominated my life, uh, rotation through children's homes. So it was never looked at from a health aspect whether there could be a connection uh, to what was going on. Yeah, and I think we have a much better look at maternal health and it's, you know, infections that we get, like a kidney infection that you think nothing of, untreated, clearly passes in utero through to the baby. Yeah, so... Looking at way back then, we're, yeah. we're talking about um, back in the 60s. Yeah. 1960, I was born. Yeah. Um, health matters were totally different back then. Mm. And so living through the homes, you can imagine what it's like living in a children's home. You're in there with uh, a lot of other kids. And so 99% of the problems that you have are emotional, depression. Uh, nothing health-related is considered. Mm. Unless you come down with uh, a viral infection, yeah, like they'll put you in an infirmary for a while. Mm. Otherwise, you're just left ramp amongst mm. the kids. So as a young kid, all my life, until I had the transplant, which is pushing ahead a little bit further, uh, but it's relevant. All my life, I had to deal with the consequences of being a bedwetter. Wow. The emotional uh, strain that puts on, on somebody when you're trying to live in a complicated environment already yeah. and then nobody's considering it as a health issue. Yeah. They They're all looking emotional. for alternate excuses. Mm. So there was punishments. There were uh, psychologist reports to, to analyse what was going on. And so I was punished further to try and control yeah. what I had no control over. Yeah. The, the other boys in the, nurse, in the children's home, I'm guessing, would have been, you'd have been prime bullying Oh, absolutely. I was a target for everything. 
Yeah, and I became, uh, in some environments, isolated, uh, separated from the group, not involved in things. And they would also do things like at night I'd get into my bed and it was already wet. Right. Because some of the kids had decided they were going to do the job for me. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that you had the incendiary supervisors, the nurses, uh, the the nuns or the brothers, uh, and you would be forced to carry your wet sheets and pyjamas around the home and especially on public events. Wow. So they purposely humiliating you? Yep, absolutely. And how old were you at this point? Um, it can be eight-ish, you know, that sort no, of... No, no, no. The first time that ever happened, I was four. Oh, my Lord. Four. Yep. And then the other time that I had a serious issue of that nature was when I was 14. Right. Yep. And so it was ritual humiliation because they oh, thought yeah. it was psychological. They thought they could control it by humiliating you into saying, right, I've got to address this yeah. without knowing that there's something very serious medical issue underlying the uh, underlying the symptom, which was basically the yeah. bedwetting. Yeah. So your water was restricted. They tried everything, didn't they, in terms of... Yeah, from about five o'clock in the evening, I wasn't allowed to drink. Mm. until the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Strangely, it still happened and nobody even looked at it. Yeah. We know so much more now, don't we? Oh, absolutely. Um, You were fostered out. Eventually. Yeah. But that was quite late, wasn't it? It wasn't until you were 14, is that right? And that that was my choice. Wow. I, I decided that was going to happen and there are other issues relevant to that yeah but yeah so for the first 14 years predominantly i lived through the home environment and there the way they deal deal with things is there's 100 kids you're irrelevant you're just a number yeah yeah so no nurturing actually no no it's amazing to see you sitting here and knowing how committed you are to the community and how much you care for the community when you haven't been given that love and yeah. you know one-on-one dedication that you get from a, a family as, as, as we know it as you grow up. It, I thank you very much for actually engaging, you know, not, not detaching yourself from life, but actually committing to engage in life. So, well, yeah, thanks, Luz. Um I, I love talking about it. It's a difficult conversation, yeah. but it's it's relevant to allow people to understand that their kids or family members may be experiencing something that is vastly different to what everyone else yep. is. Um, oh. What do they call it when 
when they decide what's wrong with somebody. Yeah, there's a presumption, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until I was 16, I was out of the home environment, I was out on my own making my decisions. I came down with a, a viral infection and through the, uh, the welfare uh, arranged to see a specialist. That specialist had me in hospital that week. Wow. A week later, I had my first kidney taken out. Right. And it was there that I first met my mother. She wow. came and saw me at the hospital. At 16. And she apologised to me. She said, John, if I had have known, I would have done something. She said, I apologise. I had a kidney infection when I was pregnant with you. So for 16 years, I dealt with all of this. From 16 on, I decided it was my life. I would deal with it my way. Beautiful. And I have. Yeah, and here you are educating us about actually, one, listening to to children and to actually understand from their point of view, not always thinking that we can fix, uh, yeah. but to listen first. And um, really, it, that's very poignant here that your mum came back. Because, yeah, there, there's a roll-on effect for this. Yeah. Right. If, if it's not treated, the kids will go to school their local neighbourhood, it will, there'll be an effect there, mm. psychologically, mentally, mm. uh, emotionally. Mm. They will have consequences far beyond the home environment. Yeah. It can be dealt with and it, it's something that people should be looking at. It is. Indeed it is. So you had your first kidney out. Um, yep. Did you at that point know that you could live with just one kidney? Oh, yeah. Yep. But that was infected. The other kidney was infected, but it was still functioning. Okay. And they said, about five years' time, it'll cark it. And it really? did. Wow. Precisely on five years. Okay. So by 26, you had no kidneys. Ish. No. No. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so here here we roll yeah. um, from 16 through to uh, 21. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Everything was motoring on. With there one was, kidney. Yeah. Um, I was living my, uh, well, yeah. nomadic lifestyle. Yes. Uh, having a whale of a time. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden I came down sick. Ended up in hospital on dialysis. Right. That was your first experience of dialysis. Yes. Yeah. That was an experience and a half, right. I tell you. It took them about a month and a half to convince me that it had to be done. Let's talk about dialysis and what it does because it's it's about that cleaning of the blood. But that's be, because you'd had five years of as you say, living the high life, your version of the high life, uh, you know, having, just living normally. Yeah. 
with one kidney, um, knowing that the prediction was that you would lose it after five, the other one would fail after five. Let's talk about that role of dialysis and, and what it does and how it helps support people who have one kidney to then what happens when you have no kidneys. Indeed, you are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. Stay in the loop with Lucy with me, Lucy and John Lee. Welcome, John Lee. Hi, Lucy. You've already given us a picture of your early childhood, which um, I'm sure in future episodes we will be able to delve into further with your per- uh, permission and your grace. But we're at the point where you have now lost one kidney and you are in hospital with your second kidney, um, your only remaining kidney, I should say, your last remaining kidney, and you're on dialysis. What does dialysis involve? Um, Obviously, you might want to lay the foundation of what it involved then, which would have been very different to what it involves now, but also what the purpose of it is. Uh, In fact, dialysis back then, Mm. the only things that have sort of changed are the machines. Okay. The machines have changed and they've improved. They make it um, the process easier. Uh, but pretty much it's the same thing. What you've got to do with dialysis, you have a number of choices as to how you can be connected. So you can be connected to a machine or you can go on what they call the bag system which is where um, it's a lot more complicated because you've got to pretty much do the whole process yourself at home. And it it entails um, putting bags of water or bags of fluid with chemical in it that does the dialysis internally. So what happens is you put the bag in uh, connect connect it to a tube that you have and then that goes in and for a number of hours that sits in there, does its job and then you've got to remove it. That process is an option. The one that I took and I had no qualms about this was uh, where you're connected to a machine via needles in your arm. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they um, insert the needles and connect you up to the machine, which then goes through the process. Your blood goes through the system and it cleans it all out, cleans the fluid. You come back a a healthy person? Not. So the idea is that it cleans your blood. It does what it should be doing internally, but you need a machine to sort of push it, push it through. It does the process for what the kidneys would normally do. Okay. When uh, you've got an infection, does it does it actually clean that infection no. out? Ah, okay. No, no, no. Oh, no. Because my kidney was almost gone. And... As they were preparing me to go on the machine, they were also monitoring the kidney because it will deteriorate. And then as you're dialyzing, your dialyzation takes over the function. Mm. So it allows whatever's going to happen to the kidney will happen irrespective of 
dialysis. Now, the level of care that you have to have with yourself around that time is enormous. And I know you were explaining to me when we were talking last week that you um, didn't feel well enough to come in to do your show because you just didn't feel quite right after your dialysis last week. And I think that's a level of self-care that I often talk about on this show, but you're living it um, minute by minute because that's your responsibility you don't have any kidneys anymore therefore your awareness of your body's function needs to be uh, super super sensitive so what you can take on what you can commit to that all needs to change can you share with us a little bit about how you how you um, live your life in terms of the self-care aspects that you live with as your normal that maybe when you were when you were living the high life between 16 and 21, and I say that with a smile on my face, John, uh, what, <laughs> what you perhaps wouldn't have considered as, as the level of self-care you needed then? Um, at that time, the, uh, the process was that um, as a young person, they concentrated on getting you back home. Mm. So you would end up taking a machine home and you did self-care at home. So everything was centred around that. So in a three-month period, they train you up, get you home, and then it's all up to you. And so once you get home, you're totally reliant on managing yourself. Although you've got access to the health team and you're constantly monitored, Everything's reliant on you. If you don't clean the machine properly, if you don't uh, look after yourself uh, and deteriorate, you could quite literally pass away without even realising it's about to happen. Wow. Because of the toxin levels. And if you don't dialyse properly, those toxin levels will still build up. Yep. Because that's what we haven't said. I mean, really, we're clearing toxins out of the body. Yeah. Toxins that, unless removed from the body, poison the body, resulting in yeah. passing away, in, 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 you know, your body breaking down and not being able to function. So if you didn't have dialysis, if you chose to stop dialysis, you wouldn't last very long because... Two the, weeks the toxins, at most. Right. Because the toxins would basically yep. cause all of your other organs to shut down. Yep. So the dialysis is a is is something that you when you go home and you have to uh, manage. It's a level of attention to detail and responsibility that you have to bring to yourself that only you can bring to yourself. So when yeah when you're in that learning process, you also meet the dietitians, uh, you also meet the counsellors, and all of this process happens to allow you to. To go home, mm. so you have uh, a new diet. Everything that you normally would have is off the agenda. You've right. now got to manage yourself. Although I didn't, but you're supposed to manage yes. yourself accordingly. Yeah, because we don't realise yep. that there's liquid in foods, and so you've really got to be aware of what you're eating because it all contributes to those toxins. Well, not only that, the chemicals in food. Ah. Of course. So the number one thing that you'll hear about um, in relation to uh, kidneys is potassium. 
Yes. And the high levels of potassium in various foods. Which is salt. It can it can be yeah, added to yeah. food as salt, but actually naturally potassium's in yep. a lot of foods, yeah. That's your number one killer. Wow. Oh yeah. So no bananas. Ca- no bananas, no fish, um, no um prawns, no crayfish. Wow. Um and there are oh um what are those little green fruity things? Um, Kiwis? No. Kiwi no. Fruit, uh, Everyone loves them. You know, you open them up and they have that seed in them. Oh, I know what you're talking about now. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to come. No. But I know exactly what you're talking about. It's got the seed Everyone in the loves yes. them. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And um, I hate it. <laughs> thankfully, because it's very high in potassium. Right. Yeah. And... What tends to happen is um, European people and Asian people have a very high diet which they won't control. Mm -hmm. They just refuse to acknowledge that their problem is caused by what they're eating. Yes. And they're constantly being told by the doctors the nurses control your diet remove these things from your food because I know the effect I feel quite comfortable at the moment but if I have any of those particular foods I can feel it straight away wow which means that all of us can it's just that your body is actually more honest it reacts immediately yeah yeah that's it. And that is one of the biggest questions I have is why we're so adamant and so stuck in the mud about foods that we eat when actually if we were choosing to be sensitive to how our bodies responded to food and drinks and different things, we would know that it's a poison. Avocado. Wow. There it is. Yeah. Got it. Oh, okay. Yeah, well. Yeah. That was a bigger fruit than the one I was thinking of, funnily enough. Um, You'll also tend to find that a lot of uh, foods that have got um, a a seed in them... Yes. ...are associated in that group. Yeah, highly reactive. I know peaches and pears, um, no, peaches and nectarines and things like that I thought would be great. And then once I couldn't tolerate sugar very much, they they would send me off on some kind of uh, meltdown in my body. Just had to go to sleep after it, couldn't function. Well, your two biggest killers are sugar and salt. Yeah. And that actually was all the way through the paperwork with kidney function mm. and kidney health is you have got to be aware of the amount of sugar yeah. and salt that you're consuming that's in foods that you don't think you need them in and how addictive they are. And I think that's what, again, you know, we just don't talk about it. We pretend that they're not addictive. Well, they are. Mm. And if they weren't, then you wouldn't have any trouble giving them up. Absolutely. You know, we're logical about it. We wouldn't defend it if we knew what they do. And, and as you say, you are so sensitive in your body. You know, because you choose to feel your body, you know exactly what reaction that they oh, have. Oh, I can feel it immediately. Yeah. And if something doesn't agree with me, 
Yeah. God, it goes through the roof. Yeah. And that and that has life mm. and death consequences actually now. Well, it does because all I as soon as something like that happens, all I'm looking forward to is the fact that I'm going to be on dialysis. Right. At the next or, or within a period of time yes. that I'm going to be able to manage because sometimes Lucy it can be horrific the the effect of something that you may have accidentally had yes especially in takeaway food ah uh, yeah the consequences of that can be unimaginable and then you know that unless it's an emergency the hospital won't take you in mm. They will send you home. If you if you got dialysis scheduled the next day, yeah. they won't accept you. Right. They will send you home and say, hey, come back in. They relate it all to your dialysis. And there are times where I've actually been there and I've needed help and they've sent me home. And I've had to virtually crawl in the next day to have my treatment. Then I was fine after it wow so it's really responsible you've really got to be very serious about mm. the responsibility you need to take and as you say sometimes it's not even your error um but it make i can't imagine ever wanting takeaway if you even potentially will run the risk of that i'm a convenient food man yeah microwave or yeah. takeaway <laughs> yeah so that's a that you run a risk there don't you yep. all the time yep Triple H, 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. We we have such great discussions off air. I just wish we could just keep the mics on the whole time and you didn't need a break for music. I mean, it seems such a waste. <laughs> we'll get to those later. We will, we will. Okay, um, I, you're listening to Triple H, 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. I am in the studio today with John. Welcome, John. Hi, Luce. We, um, we've talked about dialysis and the purpose of it. In the t you you clearly have been in the hospital environment for a very long time, and in that time, I'm aware that you will have developed relationships with the people that you've met and the people that you've seen, the people that are having dialysis, but also the staff, and that was one of the things that I connected with you on your deep care for the people that look after you week in week out the care that they have for the other people that you see, regardless of what choices they're making in their lives. What Can you talk me through your experience of hospital and the nurses and doctors that you come across? I hated hospital, Lucy. Black and white. Black and white. I'm not surprised. Absolutely. Yes. But, um, yeah, having been involved with... Uh, the Concord yes. was the main hospital I was involved with. I hadn't been uh, a resident, so to say, since 1981. Mm -hmm. um, you build relationships with people over time. And I still connect with a lot of those people now. And even though the staff change around... Um, Especially in an environment uh, of dialysis, um, it's it's one of those uh, health areas where 
you pretty much gain uh, a trust in uh, your nursing staff. Um, not so much the doctors, they mm. come and go, but your nursing staff, especially your major nurses, um, they form a, a relationship because they're concerned if nothing, if, if, if things aren't going right for you. They want to know, they want to advise you and support you. But they also want to be there to, to be friendly. They know how difficult the, the treatment is and they understand what where's patients are going through and what we're dealing with. So they try to make it as uh, simple and, and easy as possible. Yeah. But what we do is form very close relationships with these staff. Or, well, from my point of view, I'm yeah. aware, but talking to the nurses and the nursing staff, they have indicated to me that we become part of family. Mm. Which to a degree is true. I know a lot of the patients just come in, do their treatment, go home and ignore everything else that's going on around them. But I'm very focused on supporting the staff because I know the difficulties that they're going through. Not only are they dealing with a very complicated health area, but they're also dealing with the hospital issues. Yeah, the managerial, the practicalities. Financial the side. Yes. Lucy, you, you cannot imagine what it's like when one of the nurses who, okay, in the, they have a, a unit manager. She came in to me one day before I knew anything about this and I need a special type of tape. And she said, John, we can't get it. They won't give it to us. There's no money. No money for a, a box of tape. Yeah. And you you look at these things and you go, go and steal it. Yeah. And she says, we can't. Yeah. But, yeah, so the other complication that you have is when you form a relationship like that in our health area, People died so frequently, on average one a week mm. is passing away right. by choice or by default. Yes. The nurses are the ones that feel an effect of that. And then each time somebody passes away, the counsellors come to work. They have to come in mm. and support that nursing staff because whether they, they go to the funeral, whether they choose not to, they've still got to come back to work the next day mm. and somebody else has replaced them, that person that passed away yeah. in that chair and they go, oh, yeah. I've got to come back to work. Yes. And so the, the trauma... And um, I guess the 
the difficulty for the staff in overcoming this process is unimaginable. And you know, I can see the pain on these nurses, especially after someone's died. They don't need to tell me. I can see it. It's very and close. And it reminds me, Lucy, of my good friend Marcus. Mm. Passed away. He was only here for a short time. Yeah. With us here at Triple, Triple H. H. Yeah. And we used to cross paths because he used the room that I used. Yeah. The day he passed away, I met him and he said, John, I don't feel well. Mm. He looked discerning. Yeah. When when you see that on a on a day to day, week by week basis, does it make you consider your own life and your own mortality and th- no. what's beyond here? No. Not at all. Keep I'm, it very I'm fairly simple. stringent on yeah. where I'm going. Yeah. I've I've made a decision a long time ago. So it's not a complication. Yeah. It's just a matter of one day I'll get there. Yeah. But I have total control over everything I do. I'm the one who presses the button and I will be the one, unless it's a health issue, Yeah. I'll be the one that makes that final decision, which is something different in the area of um, renal failure, Mm. especially on dialysis. We have, to a degree, a, a control over whether we take the treatment or not. And once we make that decision, the doctors don't force us. They won't force us. They're obligated to uh, consult us and encourage. Mm. But once a, a patient makes that decision, to technically give up, yep. then the alternate process comes in, palliative care yep. comes into play. For a number of patients, they have additional complications. Um, I spoke to you about diabetes, yeah. heart uh, conditions, um, obese people, you have those additional complications on dialysis and it's a recipe for disaster mm-hmm. because once people uh, look at what's happening, the roll-on effect from diabetes is that they will start losing limbs. That complicates everything else that they're trying to deal with. And these are the people that will be the first to make that choice. To pass. Yeah. Yeah. The rise in obesity and weight issues, it's going up, I think, faster than anyone can really understand. Yeah. Um, And that's another conversation where tumbleweed 
flies down the street, you know. Well, a lot, of, and a lot of people have no idea. They live with uh, diabetes. Yeah. But diabetes is the number one cause of kidney failure. Wow. And if people don't realise and take, take the steps to be more cautious, mm-hmm. they will end up exactly where I am. Mm-hmm. Not, not that mine was caused by diabetes. No. But I hear it. Every time I hear the word diabetes, I think, oh, my God, there's another person that's going to be joining us yeah. at dialysis, yeah. which is true. Yeah. 90% of the patients have diabetes. The roll-on effect huge. from that is immense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the on-costs and of life yeah. and emotional. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Lisa, I was just about to go to sleep. <laughs> Can't have any more. 48-minute ad. So we had a 48-second ad coming up, and I was like, no, we're just coming in. We're not doing that for another 48 seconds. Macca's run. I know. We want to get oh. going. <sighs> Right, so welcome back to H 100.1 FM. Stay in the loop with Lucy. We're talking all about kidneys today. And I've got John Lee in the studio mm. with me. We're going to talk about transplant now. You have experienced yep. transplants firsthand. So could you tell us um, what... I know there's, there are statistics, different statistics about transplants out there. I recently did a, um, a an assignment through uni on... Uh, an argument for live donors and for um, us having a choice with live donors, so who you give your kidney to, which was a very interesting debate. Uh, It was a very difficult debate to have. Um, But the statistics that I read, the current ones, were that actually you had a better chance of survival with a live kidney than necessarily with a cadaver kidney, although that's not completely you know across the board and you were saying that that's because of the connection that you've got with the person who's offering it it's usually a genetic yep. match yeah so there's a, a lot of genetics coming through there which balances it out whereas with a cadaver it's uh tissue typing cross matching so that, a potential of rejection yes yeah. absolutely although with a uh, a family donated a kidney, it can fail just as quick. Wow. There is no certainty they will survive longer than a cadaver kidney. You have to take immune suppressants, don't you, yeah. to make sure that your body doesn't reject the uh, the organ that's being transplanted yep. into you. Absolutely. And when I had my transplant, uh, back in 1982, took off straight away. Wow. But then I was on immune suppressants and um, the kidney went through its life uh, 20 years. Then bang. So I went through the euphoric of a high life Yeah. where... I achieved my my goal. I was um, I played ice hockey. I refereed ice hockey, mm-hmm. and I was in charge of the uh, referees. Yeah. But I achieved my goal of being able to referee around the country. 
and I was super fit and everything revolved around my health as being most significant in maintaining that kidney. So other things, well, okay, I still drank, but with moderation Mm. uh, a lot more. And it was all about prolonging the life. And so when you have a transplant, they go one month, three months, six months, 12 months, two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20, and they, they roll it out like that. So depending on uh, the function of the kidney and the ad- adaption of the person that's received the kidney, how successful that kidney will be. But I can tell you, Lucy, there is a situation where when you are offered a transplant, you're offered it before it's given. Wow. Before they transplant, mm. before they do surgery. Because of the complications of a transplant, it's a foreign body uh, or a foreign tissue going into your body. Everybody reacts differently. And even the level of drugs that they give you, what that does is maintains balance of of the organ, mm. allowing it to function. It controls your immune system so that you don't become susceptible to uh, foreign diseases or uh, illnesses. Yeah. Everything they do to try and keep that kidney functioning at optimal pace. Mm. There are options prior to that where they, they spell it out. They say, you have a choice. And of course you're stuck in this euphoria. You're going, oh, I've got a, tr- a transplant coming. But then they smack you and they go, well, hang on. It's all good and proper having the transplant. But you need to be aware that not every transplant takes. Mm. And I can tell you, Lucy, I've been in a situation where I've seen people that have had transplants that have failed far too soon. Far too soon. Yeah. And they've actually died. That's a complication. You can die from a... Um, a complication from a transplant, Mm -hmm. whether it's a cadaver or a family donated or uh, a live organ. Okay, so in the live organ, majority of live organs will come from a family member because they're the most likely to be a perfect match or as close to matching as possible. I'm totally against this idea of friends offering because as soon as they hear that you're on dialysis, they go, oh, I'll offer you one of my kidneys. That's a Mm no-no. Why would would that be a no-no? The psychological damage to somebody. Yeah. It's happened to me. Right. I've had people offer me. I now say, don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. Mm. Just go away. Not interested. Because far too often, it won't be anywhere near a match. 
it's more so the friendship connection which is forging it. Yeah. Yeah. And the reality is you're far better off just saying, hey, I'll support you through be a buddy. what's going on. Yeah, be a buddy rather than yep. try and fix the problem by, by offering an you, organ that You again, never recover from that, Luce. No. You never recover. It's the most damaging thing that can happen. Giving, giving it and then it failing. Do you think they have... Somebody offering it. Right. Oh, really? A friend offering it because it will never happen. Ah, okay. It will never happen. The the chances of a match from two foreign bodies like that... Yeah. ...not worth the risk. No. Emotionally, there's potential for deep... Grief on yep. both sides, isn't it, when mm. you realise that you can't. So in, in, in relation to what happened to me, I had had the transplant. 20 years later, all of a sudden it's failing. I'm getting massive uh, headaches. And I'm, I'm talking, Lucy, you, you cannot imagine the pain that was there. Mm. But it wasn't the kidney. That's interesting. It was the TB. I had TB... In the kidney. Whoa. And that kidney, that, that TB was causing my problems. Right. But what he did was alerted the doctors to the fact that the kidney was about to fail. Right. And that was because the TB was in the kidney. When it was transplanted. When it was transplanted. Mm-hmm. And back in those days, they did not test for anything but a tissue testing, tissue, tissue cross match. Yes. Which is um, a blood analysis. Yes. Yeah. And in your case, actually, was what changed it for yep. everybody else. Yep. They now do a test for underlying diseases because TB in its very nature, can sit in the body for unlimited time, as it proved with me. Mm. 20 years, wow. I had a magical life. Yeah. I enjoyed uh, my sport. I worked. I got married, got divorced, had fun, all right? <laughs> um, and then my whole world came crashing down. Yeah. And, in fact, it was... Six months after I started working at the radio station. That's when it that started. It, it crashed. And I can tell you, uh, it's the worst thing. Hmm. You know, to have that situation occur. So then I had to go back on dialysis. I had no alternative. First time in 20 years. But I was rejecting it. I yes. was angry. Yeah. I didn't know what was going on. My whole body was shutting down as a result of the TB. Yeah. My underlying concern was that my kidney was failing. Mm. That was the only kidney I had in the body, yes. that, that transplant kidney. The other one had been taken out. The other one, uh, the one, the remaining one was taken out at the time of the transplant. So it doesn't cost, uh, cause cross infection they remove every 
opportunity for that to happen. Yep. So you've only got the transplant kidney. Once the transplant kidney goes, you're empty. If it's causing problems, they're going to take it out. Yes. Yeah. Interesting that you mention about being in community because that was the next question that I was going to, to ask you. As we come to the to the end of the show, in part, I think we've got what ten minutes left. You are a staunch member of the Triple H community organisation. You've been the station manager. You've been there through thick and thin, really, and um, you're still doing a show regardless of whatever else is going on in your life. You still have a commitment to the station. Um, I know you and I share very strong feelings about us being a station for the community and representing the community, but it's played a big role in your life, hasn't it? It definitely has. It was uh, something that I looked at in the early months after the transplant failed. Um, once they got my heart pumping away again, I looked at what I was doing here and I was far more focused on the radio station the, because of its attachment to community. I was so focused on that. I knew the health team would deal with the other things. Yeah. I would deal with what was happening here. Mm. And so my focus was there is community in community radio. That's our focus. Yes. And it should always remain that way. And it has. And it was my connection with the station and then being able to have the privilege of presenting radio programs, sharing that knowledge and the skills that I atti attained with other people. Mm. It gives me great satisfaction you, to have that happen. You've trained many, many young presenters as well. You've Fly the John Lee's scholarship. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I did that because I realised there was. Um, well, I, I didn't realise. I anticipated. Mm. Okay, that. We had room for more young people mm. in the radio station. And the only way to actively do that was to set up the scholarship training program. No. Unfortunately, it's not on the road for next year. No. Yeah. We'll have to look at, I'm working, have to look at how yeah, we can yeah. do that. But we are also now looking at a senior scholarship program. Which would be fantastic. Yeah. Do you think that the early start that you had in life is what makes you value the importance of family and community and not necessarily seeing your family as merely your blood relatives, but that it's actually about us connecting with each other and that connection that you get through community? I would say because of that background I have, is it's important that uh, associating with different aspects of the community and being uh, being central to what 
happens in that community. Everywhere I go, everywhere I go, I my being in a certain position is why something happens. Mm. It, if I wasn't there, it wouldn't happen. Mm. And so we're each and every one of us is an important piece of that community. If we're not there, it doesn't happen. Yeah. You can't, you can't be somewhere else and go, oh, I love that community. Yeah. You've got to be there to experience it. And if you don't experience community for what it really is, it's for each and every person in that environment. And by sharing and caring with everyone around you, it improves community overall. And that's where the connection between Triple H Radio and our local community is so important. The connection word is community. We are both communities interacting as a cause and effect. Got one more thing yeah, for you, Liz. Yeah, go for it. In regards to um, transplants. Yes. Is the organ and tissue donor program. Yes. All Share right. away. Yes. Okay, so... Listeners to my regular program would be familiar. I support the project and I encourage people to uh, have a conversation because that's the most important thing at the beginning is talk over with your family members, express your willingness to become an organ and tissue donor. And it's no longer only relevant to tick your driver's license. In fact, um, I don't think that process happens anymore. I heard... It's an opt-in rather than yeah. an opt-out. No. Um, but what you have to do is once you decide collectively as a family that you're going to be uh, a potential organ and tissue donor, go on to the, uh, the website, which is donatelife.org.au and complete the form there. And I can can tell you, it's not one or two questions or anything like that. It's a lot of questions. It is a very complicated process. Yeah. Um, But it is very worthwhile. In fact, in August, we had 22,000 people sign on to the organ donor program wow. because in that period of time there was a big media yes uh, push. follow through yes that's right right and so over the moon was i yeah when i i read that and i thought this is fantastic all i do is i pass on hoping that other people can have the experience that i had 20 years but people turn around and say, oh, yeah, at least 20 years. And I said, ah, but remember, if I didn't have that problem, I could still be going. Yes, that's then true. I would not be here. Yeah. So these things happen they do. for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. 
And you have chosen life every single day since, well, initially in that five-year period where you had one organ until you had your organ transplant. And every day since the organ failed, second organ failed, you've chosen life every single day since then. I thank you for that, John, because uh, you don't have to. And I'm very grateful that you're here to share your wisdom with us, share your life experience with us and, and keep going and keep changing, being the change that you want to see in the world. You don't look at it just your life. You look at it as, as the world. Oh, Luce, I have a, a different outlook on life. I fought the system. I knew I couldn't beat it. So I controlled it. I yeah. now have total control. And that's what allows me to keep going. Mm. If I didn't have the control that I have, but also the overwhelming spread of friends that I have through all the connections that I've had, the hospital here in my community, um, my own community where I live, all these people, the biggest thing I take, and it's something I learned years ago, is that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, it's only happening because you're there. If you weren't there, it wouldn't be mm. happening. Mm. And it is so true. Yeah. And once you live into that environment, you'll look on the life so totally different. And you smack yourself. When you start questioning yourself, you start going over the ideology of why'd that happen? And then you second ask yourself, it wouldn't have happened if I wasn't there. Yeah. There's a responsibility in that. Cause and consequence. Yeah. Yeah. And choices and consequence. So actually a lot of, I think that's one of the hard things that we see is people thinking it's a punishment to to have things happen to them in their lives but sometimes just choices and consequences that might take 20 years to come out mm. but we've just got to remember that every choice we make has a consequence somewhere along the line so loose i'm i'm walking around i'm a loose gun yeah the reason okay i i look at it that way yeah. is that at any time i could fire off yeah. but some years after the transplant failed, I had to have it removed mm. because, as you said earlier on, what happens with the kidneys is your blood passes through it. If there's an interruption between the uh, the blood flow through your your bladder and that, you're going to lose that blood. Yes, yes. And I experienced that uh, in an unbelievable way. Wow that it became so damaging. I was losing a litre of blood a day. The hospital couldn't keep up with the transfusions. And one hospital got to the point where after five days of supplying, refused to supply anymore. Wow. Cost. Not not the fact, not the complications. My blood had to come... Uh, had to go to the Red Cross. It had to be filtered. Yes. And then had to come back. And so there was additional costs. So the hospital said, no, um, wow. send him out. Wow. So I ended up seeing a specialist for her appointment 
and I told her why I refused to come to her appointment. Her secretary had to ring me mm. and demand I come in. And I said, no. Nah. I said, I'm fed up with you people. I've just been kicked out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And she got on the phone, blew them up, had me in another hospital, kidney taken out, wow. stopped. Wow. As soon as they took the kidney out. Yeah, no more blood. No problem. Wow. And so I am now gun-ho. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give me any grief. Oh, no, no, I wouldn't now. No, I'm, I'm sitting not, over not, the other side of no, the tomb. No, 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 no. I mean, yeah, people yeah. have had the wrath of me. Yeah. And it's because you I'm don't such hold a gentle back. person. Yes, okay. So you're just not holding back in life anymore. You're just going to no, say I it know, as you see it. I know what, what possibilities are out there. Yeah. And I will see it. And if someone oversteps the line, I'll pick it up. Yeah. And especially hurting my place here. Yeah. So that's a sensitivity, isn't it? That's sensitivity in the kidneys. You're very sensitive to what's going on in the body, but you're also sensitive to what's going on around you because that actually, you're realising, affects your body. Yeah. But I've also made the choice, sorry. Yeah. Made the choice. I will not have another transplant. Okay. Due to the consequences. Yeah. There are other issues. Yes. And so, again... I made that decision based on conversations with people. Yeah. And I think, well, hey, I'm surviving on dialysis. I've just got to put up with it. Got lumps in my arm. Yeah. Other patients who are an absolute pain in the ass. Yeah. But some lovely people to deal with. The staff. Yeah. And all the people at the hospital that I share time with. Well, thank you for sharing long your time. time with us. I know. Yeah, it's a long time. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that with us because it's it's given us an insight which unless someone who lives it shares, we we could live in total ignorance of. Yeah. And as you say, what what the way we're living now, we could end up living in the situation that you're living with now but if we'd actually paid attention we could alleviate that one for the system two for ourselves three for those around us as well yeah Luce there's one thing I'd like people to take out of this conversation that we've had that they now consider having a health check the importance of a, a health check I cannot stress it enough. Mm. It will pick it up. Mm. When you go to see your doctor, if they don't conduct a blood test, ask for one. Yeah. They'll check your blood pressure. They'll check your weight. Yeah. They'll look at your diet. They'll look at your mental status. But the first thing that they've got to do is a blood test. Yeah. It will give them an overall picture of what's happening. Yeah. So... I do hope that people take that on board and oh, have make sure it's on the website as well. Have that annual health check. If you don't, when you tune to my program, I'll stick it in your ears. <laughs> <laughs> now, when can they listen to your program? I know you're off for a couple of weeks, but when would they normally yeah. hear it? On Tuesday, in the Electric Barnyard, 
that's the Country Blues Show. Fantastic. And then on Thursday... Yep. ...is the Classic Rock Express, which is 60s, 70s, 80s gear. Wow. Two shows a week. Yep, from 12 till 3. I take my hat off to you. But, it's yeah, it's not as complicated as you as you think. Yeah. That's what my weekends are normally for. Yeah, prepping your week. Prepping it. Fantastic. Yeah, I do the research during the week, prep the shows on the weekend. Ah, fabulous. Thank you, John. Thank you for spending Pleasure, your time Liz. with us. Uh, remember, listeners, don't be defined by a problem you have. I think John has epitomised that completely. Uh, I often say it's about behaviours, but it's the same for illnesses. Don't be defined. John hasn't been defined by his illness, and he shared with us this morning and for time immemorial how life is about connection to people and about nurturing your body as a, as a priority. Remember, what, uh, regardless of what has happened or is happening in your life, you are and will always be amazing and the key to reconnect to that space and learn to build a relationship with your body so you can recognize when your body is trying to tell you something is not quite right and then seek support with the appropriate support service be that mental or physical health and we'll start with the annual health checkup that john has been sharing us with with us the podcast for today's show will be available through the stay in the loop with lucy website and on soundcloud and if you want to get updates or reminders when something new is posted then just like that stay in the loop with lucy facebook page or that website and you'll get an automatic notification till next week's show remember to take a moment to look after you to connect with the amazing people in our community be kind be caring be love be all of you thank you john for being with us thank you lucy for having me you've been listening to triple h 100.1 fm and stay in the loop with lucy